0: your bibles turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 First Thessalonians chapter 2 Interesting I've looked at this outline I've gone over this outline last night I uh, colored the outline up, and I'm up here this morning looking at it, and just notice that I put the wrong scripture on my outline. Look, that's not where I am this morning. <clears throat> Doesn't matter how many times you look at something, you see things you didn't see before. Uh, Janet Chambers is still looking for a ride from Oakwood Meadow Senior Community to church service at 11 o'clock. Uh, teenagers. Oh, now I got your attention. Uh, Friday, March the 8th, underground church activity, 7 to 9 p.m. Mrs. Bishop would want you to know that. I did something uh, today that I've never done in a sermon, in a message, in, I don't know, uh, 30 years. And that's uh, changed uh, changed the title at 2 o'clock in the morning. I just just seemed to be missing something. And uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, got up in the dark, got my pen out. And started writing in the dark, which is you, because I'm afraid you, know, I'm going to get up this morning and not remember, uh, not remember the title. Uh, my outline says walk worthy of God, uh, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to change that to living in hope. Uh, so we're in Thessalonians, a church, uh, Paul's second missionary journey, 54 A.D. Church is four years old, and they're going through intense persecution. So much so. Uh, that the Jewish people around them that knew enough of uh, the scriptures, are unbelieving Jews, I might add, and, and others said, ha, 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 God didn't come back for you. This is the tribulation period. And they thought that they were the victors in persecuting the Christians of the first century. And uh, so God wrote them two letters to say, you have not missed, uh the rapture you are not going through the tribulation period the roman persecution was bad it was brutal uh, but it is nothing like uh, what they're going to see during uh, the book of revelation during revelation uh yesterday just kind of interesting yesterday i uh, had a as a busy busy day started out early in the morning i had appointments all afternoon and i found myself in manassas uh yesterday uh afternoon in the in the late afternoon and uh, engaged a gal in conversation. And I believe she was a believer. I believe she knew Christ as her Savior. Uh, But I don't know what she's listening to on the Internet, Uh, but uh, she didn't get uh, that from from God's Word. And this is what she said. She said, oh, you're the pastor. I am. Uh, She said, so uh, do you believe uh, we're in Revelation 6? I, I didn't think I heard her correctly. I said, excuse me? She said, Revelation 6. That's tribulation period. For those who don't know, I said, "Oh no, ma'am." She said, "The red horse." I said, "No, ma'am. No, no, ma'am. No." We're, we, the the church disappears at the beginning of the book of Revelation. By the time you get to Revelation chapter six, we're deep into the tribulation. And uh, this, you, listen, listen, gal, uh, you ain't seen nothing. Uh, and what we're going through today in America could not even begin to be compared with what was going on in the first century. Not even, not even close. <clears throat> but I just say, be careful what you listen to, and there are still voices today uh, that would say, um, that would misuse or misinterpret uh, God's word. It's important to be in church. And I'll just say, be careful what you watch and what you listen to on the internet. Just be careful. <clears throat> so, uh, last week we told you that there were uh, three reasons why Thessalonians was written. Number one was to confirm doctrine and it is important to have sound doctrine number 2 was to condition holy living and uh, the third the third reason uh, was to to uh, comfort them regarding Christ's return look at v- chapter 1 verse 10 and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from wrath to come. And again, that's a huge, huge statement. I said that last week in the 11 o'clock hour and read that passage of Scripture, and at the door a man came up to me, he was a visitor last week, and he said, I'd really like to talk to you sometime about that phrase, uh, delivered us from wrath to come, because I, I don't have that confidence that God has delivered us from wrath to come. He was a man that believed that we we're going to go through the tribulation period. I just say, be careful what you're reading. Be careful who you're listening to on the Internet. A lot of rogue voices out there. But that, uh, that is to be an encouragement to us. So you come through verse 1, and Paul's writing this letter, and he says to them, hey, here, here's a letter. Uh, as we mentioned last week, uh, the people get the, you get a letter from the apostle Paul, and you wonder, what have I done? What have I done? What kind of a trouble I am? Uh, very quickly in that first chapter, Paul let them know you haven't done anything wrong. I'm praying for you. you got a lot of good things going on, a lot of things you're doing, but I want to comfort you. So we get into chapter 2. What is the emphasis on chapter 2? And here we are, which is applicable to the day and age in which we live, which is why I changed the title this morning. Chapter 2 tells us how we ought to live in a world that is heading towards God's judgment. How should we live? What should be our motivation to living the Christian life in light of the fact that Christ is coming again, that the world is going to be plunged into darkness, that God's judgment, God's wrath is going to be poured out on those that are left behind? How should we live? And that's chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning, that we would be challenged to holy living, to do what is right the right time, and the right way, at the right place. And we would put off ungodliness and worldliness, selfishness. We'd put off wrath and anger and malice and evil speaking, and that we would put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly, Thessalonians is not the only place where we are encouraged to live righteously and godliness. Holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And I pray that you'd condition us this morning and help us to be convinced that we need to be holy living. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> We're in the church. It's the church, the church at Thessalonica. Uh, they are saved, sound, suffering, soul winning, separated, serving, and walking by faith. <clears throat> but how should they live as they look towards the rapture? We're in chapter 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, for even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you, what? The gospel. And there is the first reference, and there are several in this chapter, to the gospel. And we should be gospel-focused, a gospel of God with much contention. And that doesn't mean it's always going to come easy. Verse 3 For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. In those first three verses, you see the Apostle Paul, if you like to circle or underline or highlight, three words. In the first verse, our entrance, our. In the second verse, we had suffered, we. And in the third verse, for our exhortation. And Apostle Paul says, Hey, uh, it is not a one man show. We're in it together. And I, I like that about Lighthouse. It's not about a show, and it's not about one man. It's about people serving the Lord. It's about all of us. If you're in the South, I guess we are, we'd say all y'all, everybody uh, serving the Lord. And it should be. So the question is, if that's the challenge to the first century, and here we are in 2024, are you living The Christian life. Do you focus on the gospel? Are you part of the team? Uh, You should be. Verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the... And there's that word again. Uh, So now we're in the second time that it appears just in four verses. What is that? That is the focus of how should we live in light of the gospel. Question, are you living in light of the gospel, the gospel message? Paul was, and he's encouraging them to. Again, this is a church that, God, that Paul is telling them, God is telling them, God is telling us, you are not going to go through the tribulation period, but this is how you ought to live your life today, March the 3rd, 2024, in light, in hope, with a focus On the gospel, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth the hearts. For neither at any time we uh, used we flattering words, as ye know, uh, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, uh, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle, even as a nurse cherisheth her children." So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, and here it is again, not the gospel of God only, but also of our own souls, because you, ye, were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. And again, how should we live in 2024? We should live in light of the gospel. We should live in hope of the gospel. People should see Christ in you, do they? Do they? Verse 10. You are witnesses and God only, how holily and justly and unblamably we behaved ourselves Among you. And you could, after every one of these verses, write, How should I live? Well, we should live in hope. So, why do we come to church on Sunday morning? Because we live in hope of the gospel. Why do we pass out gospel tracts on Saturday? Because we live in hope of the gospel. Apostle Paul is saying, Why should we live right? Because we should live in hope of the gospel. Why should we do the right thing? Why shouldn't Christians cheat on their taxes? Because we should be living in hope, in hope that Christ is going to come back. So you go out in the world on, on um, tomorrow, Monday, and people say to you, so what did you do yesterday? Well, uh, 8, 8.30 in the morning, I was in church. And they're like, really? Why? That's a great question. Do you have an answer? And the answer is, we come to church on Sunday morning because we, we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. And what is going on matters. The gospel matters. So he's telling them, listen, how should you live in light of a world that is facing God's judgment? You should live right. You should live just. You should be honest in your dealings. And uh, verse 10, unblameably. Verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charge every one of you as a father does his children. Verse 12. That you should do what? Walk worthy of God. Seriously. Walk worthy of God. What are you doing in the bar? What are you doing in the nightclub? What are you doing sleeping around? What are you doing cheating? What are you doing doing all those things? What are you doing doing that? Because when people see that, they're not thinking about what a wonderful Christian you are. They're thinking about if that's Christianity, they're no different than I am. And so we should be living right. And so Paul is telling them in verse 11, hey, I, as a father would say, walk walkworthy of God, what in the world are you thinking? What, what were you thinking? Isn't that what a father would say to his children, his child, when they did something that was just so unbelievably knuckleheadedness? And say, yeah, absolutely. What were you thinking? What would the child say? Ooh and they roll their shoulders and do that, that little grunt. I'd like to see the spelling on that word sometime. And verse 13, For this cause we thank God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye receive not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effect- effectively worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren... "...became followers of the churches of God, in which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things by your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews." Who did what? Verse 15. "...who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to Gentiles that they might be saved. And here's the, here is the double-edged shamefulness of a religious person who rejects the gospel. The Jewish people had rejected the gospel. And you'll see this over and over again in the book of Acts. Here's a double-edged shamefulness. What is that, preacher? Not only do they reject the gospel themselves... But they try to make it difficult for churches, Christians, believers, to share that gospel message with others. Listen, if you want to go to hell and hellfire and damnation and live there for all eternity, have at it. But don't stop! Don't stop other people from going there. I talked to a man this week uh, was out witnessing. And I talked to him about uh, his walk with the Lord and about his salvation, and he said, "Yeah," and, and he's shaking his head, "No." Yeah, I, I I know I need to be saved. I know I do. So why are you rejecting Christ? Are you married? Yeah. Do you have children? Yeah. Where do you think those children are going to go? It's one thing to be a dad and say, you know what, i choose to go to hell. But it's another thing to say, I've got children at home and I'm going to take them with me. How shameful. Absolutely shameful. <clears throat> but uh, that's, that's the philosophy of the world. That's the philosophy of religious people who have rejected Christ. The Jews, were they religious people? Absolutely. In the synagogue every week, they absolutely were. Embrace Christ for salvation? Absolutely not. Uh, They have not. But we who have accepted Christ ought to live in hope. We ought to live right, do right, speak right. We ought to do that all of the time. Verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your faith with great desire. Wherefore, we would come again unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope? Or joy, or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are glory and joy. And that verse, again, brings out the fact, the end, again, go back to First uh, chapter 1, verse 10, and to wait for his Son from heaven. What is that? That's the rapture. Speaking of the rapture, Jesus Christ coming back. To meet us in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Who are waiting for? Waiting for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from wrath to come. That rapture is going to initiate the seven years of tribulation. How does verse, how does chapter 2 end? Very similarly, again, look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye at, in the presence of of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. So how should we live? We should live in hope that Christ is returning. And we should embrace God's power that is manifested in people's lives in soul soul winning. And it's interesting, uh, some words that Paul uses Uh, Not in vain, not shamefully. We were shamefully entreated. Uh, There was much contention in verse 2, but they still did it. You might get some grief for your gospel stand, for your attendance and attention to the things of God, but you should still do it. Uh, Verse 5 talks about a cloak Of righteousness, it reminds me of what the Pharisees were doing. And for a pretense, the Bible talks about them in Matthew. Make long prayers. What is that pretense? Uh, They they didn't care about people. They wanted their money. They didn't care about people at all. Their their long prayers were a pretense. And and Paul said, listen. Oh, we, we're not coming to you with a cloak of covetousness. We're not coming to make money or merchandise off of you. We're here writing to you, caring for you, ministering to you, because we care about you. And that's so very, very important. <clears throat> uh, keep your finger here. Go with me to Second Peter chapter two. I'll just say, and there are a lot, a lot of people. Second Peter chapter two talks about that, who are out to make merchandise of you. Uh, they just are to take advantage of you, and they just are. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-will, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, might not, rail, not uh, and might bring not railing accusation against them uh, before the Lord, but these, as look how they're described, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. As they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime, spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, in heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which are forsaken the way. Uh, which are, and are gone astray, following the way of, of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. What is that covetousness? Pretense. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, cloud that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of, a, for of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought in bondage. It sounds like a lot that's going on on the Internet and television today. Money, fame, fortune, Sequoia National Forest has a Miracle Hot Springs. Monday, it was closed indefinitely. Seems that on February 17th, a person was found dead in the Miracle Hot Springs tub. In that same area in 2020, 2022, a person was found dead in the hot springs in that same, same location. So the first thing I did was Look up on my calendar to see what in the world was going on on February 17th. February 17th was a Sunday. They should have been in church. (laughs) That was just my first reaction. They should have been in church, but they weren't. And can you imagine if you're a Christian, you stand before God, and God says, hey, you're supposed to be living in hope. You should have been in church this morning, but you're in the Miracle Hot Springs, and you died in the tub. How embarrassing is that? Oh, sorry, Lord. That's certainly not a Christian who's living, but that would be like the unsaved person just to go, it's it's Sunday, why why should they do any different? But we should. So the the message here in chapter 2 is not to unsaved folks. The message here in chapter 2 is to Christian folks that says, live right, do right, be right, at the right time, at the right place, on Sunday and Monday. And Tuesday and Wednesday, we should live in hope of the gospel, of Christ's return. That's what chapter 2 is all about. So this is what the quote was in the article that talked about the Miracle Hot Springs death. They closed it immediately. Why? And this is what they said. Quote, public safety is of utmost importance. Somebody died. Two people died in this hot tub. And so what they did, they took immediate action. Would you let me say, Christian, more than two people died yesterday in Alexandria. Is not the salvation of the lost our utmost priority? What are you doing? What did you do yesterday to make a difference for the gospel that is mentioned in verse 4 and verse 9 and throughout chapter 2. I mean, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Because it's a team effort. Are we, our exhortation, it ought to be the salvation of the lost, our utmost priority. The question, is it? Is it? and then what should we do we should display in doing that not only should we dis- embrace the power of god's word but we should display a compassion i was uh, it was thursday i uh, was witnessing to a gal and there was another uh, there was another person there and i was going through the gospel message and I was presenting to her scripture, and I was in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 and John chapter 14, sharing with her testimonies of people that had a testimony, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, and Thomas, as he said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? All of those things I was sharing with her, and she was, she was just sitting there, uh, yeah oh, okay, well, you know kind of kind of whatever uh, she kind of shrugging her shoulders, and then the person that was with us uh, looked uh, looked at her and and said, We just want you to come to Christ, and immediately that lady uh, sitting uh, sitting across from me, one lady here, uh, unsaved lady here, and uh, immediately tears started come down her face. What was the difference I, was was my presentation uh, inaccurate? No, it was very accurate. Was it not biblical? Oh, no, it was very biblical. What was the difference? Uh, this lady had compassion. I was given a textbook presentation of the gospel. I just say, Paul saying in chapter 2, compassion is important if you're going to lead people to Christ. Verse 7, he says, gentle as a nurse. Have you ever seen or had the privilege of being in the hospital or medical setting? with a nurse that did not have compassion? How did that make you feel? And they walk in with a big needle. And I got the big needle because I couldn't find a bigger one. (laughs) And you know what? I think, I think, so so when I go in for a medical procedure and the nurse comes in my direction with a needle, I I say to her, "Um, how's your marriage? She looks at me like, excuse me? I said, your marriage is good? So you got a wedding ring on? She said, yeah, my marriage is good. I said, uh, you and your husband have any fights this morning? And she goes, no, no, we didn't have any fights this morning. It's just kind of odd. You know, I'm going in for surgery. And and she says, oh, why are you asking me that question? I said, I have one more question. I said, if uh, you, your marriage isn't good, and if you got mad at your husband this morning, uh, do, do, I, do I look like your husband at all? And she goes, no, I said okay, all right. Go ahead and stick me. Uh, I just want to want, want to make sure, I want to make sure that she's not mad at her husband, and I look like him, and she goes, I want to take him, I'll take it on on you, buddy. Uh, just, just interesting to ask, what is that? Uh, compassion, passion. Verse eight, affectionately desirous. Paul uses that word, and what is he saying? You, you folks are dear to us. You folks are. John chapter ten. Uh, I'll just say verse 8, impart our own souls. Uh, Paul is saying to them at 1 Thessalonians, we we are willing to lay down our life for you. John chapter 10, verse 11, it says of Jesus Christ, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Acts chapter 20, verse 18. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 9 says, not burdensome, which means chargeable. Uh, to be, uh, again, Paul did not desire to be a financial a drain or benefit by gain of these folks. But in verse 10, again, he strived to live right, to do the right thing, at the right time. Why? In hope of the gospel. And we ought to be living in hope. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I hear this a lot. Christians say, "Well, I have, the, I have liberty. I have the freedom to do that. Sure. Uh, for brethren, Galatians 5, 13, ye have been called unto liberty. They, it's not a new thing. People say that. Paul said to them, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Walk worthy, walk in truth, don't walk in the flesh. If you like to look at end time stuff, you'll find this interesting, the Mosul Dam in Iraq. 2016, the United States issued several warnings. You can go If you want to do an interesting bit of reading and research this afternoon, look up the Mosul Dam and if it, if it fails, it's going to wipe out millions of square foot of, of uh, acreage, and uh, people, a lot of people are going to lose their life. And the United States said it's built on an unstable foundation, and it is not, something's going to set this. It's just a matter of time before this thing fails. So today, in the day and age in which we live, uh, 2024, they're dumping all kinds of concrete in that bad boy, uh, trying to keep it from failing. But here's the problem. It's built on an unstable foundation. Say, preacher, what in the world does that have to do with us today? Uh, there's a Bible prophecy in the book of Nahum that has not yet been fulfilled. And here's something for you, Bible watcher, you uh, Uh, prophecy watchers, Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. What is Nahum chapter 1 talking about it? Well, if you go to verse 1 of Nahum chapter 1, you'll find this phrase, The burden of Nineveh. What lies down below the Mosul Dam, Nineveh does. And God said in Nahum chapter 1 that he was going to make an utter end thereof by an overwhelming flood. And it just seems like the U.S. government has said, you better get out of the way because there's a flood coming. Listen, long before the U.S. government said, get out of the way because a flood's coming, God said in Nahum chapter, twon, uh, chapter 1, you better get out of the way in Nineveh because a flood's coming. Say, preacher, that's, that's pretty exciting stuff. It is pretty exciting stuff. What should that cause you to do? It should cause you to live in light, in hope of the return of Jesus Christ. The question is this. Those type of things are all over. Are you paying attention? Do you know enough about the Bible to see that? And when you see it, are you able to say to someone, have you heard about the Mosul Dam? Did you know that that failure of that dam?" Was predicted in Scripture, Nahum chapter one, long before that dam was ever built. God said, "I'm going to destroy Nineveh with an overwhelming flood." I should say, the "Dam's coming down. The dam's coming down." What should that make cause us to do? Those types of things. It should cause us to have biblical uh, discernment. <clears throat> Verse fourteen. Uh, <clears throat> Paul's talking about the suffering that they went through as a result of the countrymen, the Jewish people, the enemies of the Word of God, who did what? Uh, killed, killed them, persecuted them, killed the prophets, killed the Lord Jesus Christ. They just did. <clears throat> Paul understood uh, the passion. Paul understood the rejection of the gospel. But Paul's saying to the, to the church at Thessalonica, that should st- stop us from doing God's work. It should not stop us from recognizing that God has a purpose for our life. What changed in the life of the people at Thessalonica? Christ. What changed your life? Christ. What is your motivation? Christ. The gospel of the gospel message. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you, you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in, in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Discernment. Discernment. To do what? To know, Christian, are you living in a discerning manner? Did you know, do you recognize that there is no sin in this book that you are not capable of? And that should cause you to live in a discerning manner. Not to look down your nose at somebody and say, I would never do anything like that. You are capable of anything. Any depth of depravity. You absolutely are. Discernment. To extend grace to others who have got caught up in sin, sinfulness. To be able to say for them, but for the grace of God, that could be me. But. God has a plan for your life. God can use you, turn from your sin, turn from your wickedness. Some admonishment, as a father would say to the child, what are you thinking? Why would you do that? Come on now, let's get it together. Let's do the right thing. Let me help you. Let me stand with you. Discernment. Discernment to see that God is at work. To be able to look at somebody and say, God is working in the day and age in which we live. God is drawing people to himself. God wants people to be saved. God has a plan for their life. To be able to see that. that God is at work. Even in this crazy confusion of life. A preacher uh, wrote a newsletter, and he put it out there. And uh, a guy that I know, I talked to on the phone, I don't know, probably once a month or so, and I just talked to him in the last several days. And he said, I talked to a preacher, and he said, he's living the dream. <laughs> that, that would be me. <laughs> I'm sure he quoted me in that. People say, I go down to the police station. Hey, hey, Padre, how you doing? I go, living the dream, living the dream. Why? Because they're not. The world's not living the dream. They're living in a nightmare. But Christian, we ought to be living the dream, the dream that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment to be able to see in this world of chaos that God has a plan for life. And then discernment, to know that all things, even this thing that you're currently going through, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. That's Romans 8.28. Canadian Football League had a champion. His name was Craig Rowe, R-O-H. I don't follow the Canadian Football League. Don't follow the National Fools League here in America much either. <clears throat> I'm just saying, he was, in a, he was a Michigan, University of Michigan standout running back. He was drafted by, or he signed with the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers, And then he was released uh, before the season started, and he went up to Canada to play for uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And in 2019, he was a star, he was a defensive end uh, player on the field, and he was uh, instrumental in them winning the Grey Cup. I never even heard of a Grey Cup, but apparently we have, uh, what do we have, Stanley Cup? Oh no, that's hockey. Uh, What do they win in football? Uh, the Super Bowl, uh, that was their Super Bowl of Canada, uh, the Gray Cup. Uh, he's dead, 33. 2014, he was a standout in the University of Michigan. 2019, uh, he's playing in the Canadian Football League. Uh, 2021, he's, uh, uh, he's a star player in the Canadian Football, uh, Football League, 33 years of age, he's dead. What happened? Nothing he did wrong stage 4 colon cancer went to the doctor and the doctor said you have stage 4 colon cancer and just and, and he didn't make a big deal about it he uh, retired from football because he couldn't play anymore and uh, just very very quiet and when he passed away at 33 people said what no what in the world happened to him stage 4 colon cancer stage 4 colon cancer this is what they describe him <clears throat> He will be known as a person of great rhythm. He'll be known as a person of great intensity. He'll be known as a person who loved Chipotle. He'll be known, he'll be known as a person who loved his wife, Chelsea. He'll be known as a person who loved his family. The last thing they put in the article. I think it was the last on purpose. He'll be known for his love of Jesus Christ. You know, in the end, when you take your last breath, that's the only thing that matters. Not your love of Chipotle, not how great a football player you were, not how you lived, not your great achievements in life. But did you know the Lord Jesus Christ? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It should not come as a thief for us. In the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seen then, seen then, verse 11, seen then, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, "...seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversations and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat." So what are you doing on Sunday morning? I'm going to church. Seriously? 8.30 in the morning, you're in church? Why are you in church? In hope of the gospel. Offering plate comes around. What you do in church? They took an offering. They took my money. You give money to that place? Really? Why do you do that? In hope of the gospel. Hey, you hear about Joe? Joe's, Joe's Joe's cheating on his wife. You ever cheated on your wife? No, no, sir. Really? Why not? Because I live in hope of the gospel. Isn't that, isn't that why we live? Isn't that why we do right? Isn't that why we live justly and holy in this world? To point people to Christ? We should. What, what, why do you do that? Why, 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 don't, why, why don't you drink? Be, because I, I live in hope of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is going to come back, and I don't want to be found in the bar when he does. And if you see me in the bar, you're not going to want to come to Christ, would you? Would you? I mean, you know, Christians aren't supposed to drink, cuss, smoke, uh, cheat, run around. They're not supposed to do that thing, right? And I don't, because I want you to see Jesus. That's the message of the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica in the second chapter. As they realize, you haven't missed a rapture. You're not going through the tribulation period. You're going to be relieved from that. But in light of that all live different. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. You're here this morning. You're a Christian. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. But there's something in your life that's not right. If the world saw it, and they do, they would never come to Christ because they would see in you an inconsistency that ought not be in the life of someone who names Christ. I preacher, sure there's something in my life that's not right, something I watch, something at some place I go, something I do. Would you pray for me? God give me the courage to make it right. OK? Yes, wonderful. Excellent. OK. Let me pray for you. Father, we're supposed to live right, holy, just. in a crazy world. Not as crazy as the first century. A different kind of crazy. We're not being persecuted like the Christians were. In Thessalonians, we have no excuse for not living right. Help us to do it. Help us to identify those things in our life that are not right. Those habits, those enjoyments, those things, and help us to live in hope of the gospel. Help us to be living in hope. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this morning. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not saved. I need to be saved. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano playing, the altar's open. Uh, you want to come and pray, you can absolutely do that, and you should. You want the preacher to pray for you, Bob I'd be delighted to do that. You obey as God speaks.